HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. I'm Mike Kalameko from Food Talk. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, and welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Here today, having dinner at the long table with or Andrew. Lunch. Or lunch at Let's the long lunch table. lunch at the long table. <laughs> yeah. I know, you really uh, pigeonholed yourself with this book by, by prompting it as a dinner cookbook. Yeah, but now we can just do the next one, which is lunch at the long table. The series. And breakfast at the round table. <laughs> The man behind all these table cookbooks. Table for two. Table for two. You gotta is have a table for two. Andrew Tarlow of, of many, many restaurants here in Brooklyn. But I'm going to talk about the first time I walked in diner. And I think you must get these stories from customers a lot. I love these lot. stories, i got to tell you. They uh, actually make me, like, they, like, give, give me a reason to go to work every day. Well, you know, coming down Bedford, how many years ago is that? 15 years ago now? 16? For you or for me? Well, when you first opened in 1999. Uh-huh. So last day in 98, first day in 99, so 17? I think I was there shortly after your first anniversary because there was still be it confetti or paraphernalia on the ground that symbolized New yes. Year's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We like to celebrate New Year's and we like to really show it off as much as we can. And, you know, when you walk into that dining car on the corner of Bedford, I mean, uh, of Broadway and Barrie, you know, the floors are uneven. Yeah. The, the, the ceiling is a little bit janky, yeah. slanted down. So it, you're thrown off. Uh, you're in this physical space, but your physicality is, is kind of... We're skewed a little bit. But you aren't at all. You know exactly what you're doing. And that's what I loved about Diner and what I still do, that there's such a sense of space, of style, of of how you want someone to experience it, but it comes at this level that seems effortless. Yeah, so thank you. Appreciate that. I don't know if it's totally effortless on our, on our side in the back house, but we definitely try and make it look effortless, that's for sure. And then reading through your books, Dinner at the Long Table, I expected it to be imbued with all these restaurants that you have. Diner, Marlowe & Sons, uh, Achilles Heel, Reynard, mm-hmm. Romans... And it is, 
but it's not a restaurant cookbook. Right. It's about how the people that work in your restaurants feed each other. That's right. And that's what's so spectacular, because even though I've never really worked at your restaurants, I feel like you fed me that same way this whole time. Right. I appreciate you seeing that. I mean, I think that was the thing that we really tried to accomplish with the book, is how to make a cookbook that really spoke about the whole community and not just single out a single restaurant or a single chef. I think we also waited a long time to do the book so we really could resonate and think about how to actually accomplish those things. It's obviously super difficult. And I think the other thing that's real is that you try and tell a publisher that's what you want to accomplish and they look at you like you're a joke. So it took me a little while to kind of like convince anyone and I have a funny story of how I convinced or like what my measure of test was. So I, um, when I would go on interviews with agents and publishers, I would tell them the story that I want to re- make a cookbook. So I did this whole thing with Anna. I, we want to recreate a cookbook that recreates the story of the Odyssey. And we want to do it in cookbook form. And anyone who like took us even halfway seriously, we knew we maybe had a partner <laughs> in our cookbook. And if they looked at us like we were total like losers and freaks, which was kind of a crazy idea, I was like, well, we know this is never going to work. So that was a little bit of our test. We put our agent through that test, and she passed. She begrudgingly said, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, let's do that. That's, that, would, that We could sell that. We can sell that. So... That is how we got started on this journey. But we've been, sorry, we've been thinking about doing it for probably, I don't know, well, really since Standard Journal started, which we are at year eight or nine, issue 32. So the first Standard Journal we produced was in response to not knowing any agents, not knowing how to get a cookbook made, and wanting to make a cookbook and wanting to tell our story, but not wanting to like have to like, sell it in a different way. I mean, did you always have this kind of Homeric uh, idea of making what you do bigger than just one place and one medium? Um, I mean, I'm inspired by those ideas. I'm inspired by those stories. I am inspired by the work and the people who come every day. And I'm inspired to try and connect the dots of how we do what we do and how do they make a bigger picture. Sure. Um so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's definitely the thing that makes me wake up every day and go to work, for sure. I want to know about a specific day, and that's Bastille Day in 1998. What happened then? <laughs> Have you read your book? Oh. Bastille Day. <laughs> no, I haven't read my book. What happened? I, don't, I can't remember. I didn't read that book. Hey, were you, you there? I think no. you invited your wife over. <laughs> oh. <laughs> to that, make, to that make girl. bouillabaisse? There was, oh, there was yeah, a yeah, skirt yeah. steak on a roof situation. Oh, her uh, <laughs> intro. You know, that's a long time ago. So that day, um, what can I say? I mean, at that point in my life, we I was a bartender at the Odeon. And, um, you know, we used to cook on our roof at that time. And Williamsburg was a very different place. And South Williamsburg certainly was a different place. And it's true. We used to, like, set up tables with old wooden doors and... Um, go through like a stairwell up a back alley up a flight of stairs and then boom you were like all of a sudden looking at the whole city Um, it's obviously a super special night now and a super special thing that has transpired and happened it's um 
I didn't know then what I was doing, if that makes any sense, right? I had gone to the store. I bought a couple of skirt steaks. I bought some cilantro at like a local bodega because that's what they had after the train. Well, I was actually on my bike. And I got some chilies and I like chopped it all up. I made a fire on the roof, grilled some steaks. <laughs> you didn't know it was going to be a story that you had to remember. I didn't know it was going to be a story I had to remember. I didn't know it was a story that would be retold. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you knew how you wanted to feel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had the advantage of the full view of the city. And at that point, no one was over there, right? Like, you could have skated down Broadway and no car would have ever hit you. Like, there was just no one there. So to bring a 20-year-old girl over to your house in the middle of nowhere who had never even been to Brooklyn and then climb up that stairwell and shoot out that door, I mean, the aha moment, as much as it's what I was doing and I was cooking steak for her and I was doing all these things, it's also, like, this whole city, right? I mean, we were at the foot of the bridge. You know, I, I'm going to jump ahead to Achilles' heel. Yeah, because we have Lee. We have lovely Lee DeRosier. Of Lee the of the Roses. <laughs> I feel like the story may have been the same with that location and maybe how Lee was introduced into that fold. Totally. I mean, that, that edge of the world yes. uh, um, yeah. was vacant. Yeah. But it also had the expanse of the city, you know, right there at the river. Totally. Yeah. So what did Achilles' heel mean to you at the point, and how did you build it, and Lee, how yeah. did you come in and change yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll just start is that Achilles came in a very similar way to things that are, are great in that capacity, and that someone asked me to look at this space, which was on the edge of West Street, and I, was just, I fell in love with the feeling of the corner, let alone the actual internal space of the, of the place, which was a... And in, you know, it was a an old bar from the turn of the century, old waterfront bar, um, old sailor bar. So it's like I knew from the second I was on that corner that no matter what, even if I was broke or whatever the capacity was, like I was going to have to take it over. It's just so beautiful, such an iconic spot, and it did speak to me and did remind me of the times of diner back in the day, and remind me of the times of being on Broadway. It is equally reminding me of those times again because we are in a full construction mode there and they are digging up every single sidewalk we could ever imagine, (laughs) which is a new thing I'm used to. But um, it's, you know, it's a beautiful spot. And obviously Lee has brought so much intention to that place and so much love and physicality to what we do on a daily basis there. You know, it's such, every time I go there, I just like remember how special it is. Well, do you remember what Lee first cooked for you that, that represented Achilles? Because what's so lovely about this book is there's, you know, stories of Carolyn uh, Fidanza, your opening chef of diner, making, you know, ragu for everybody. Yeah. Or Cassoulet and then Sean Rimbold. Oh, you really read the book. I'm oh, impressed. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> See, I, I've moved to what is this thing called? Uh, bookmark. I've moved that bookmark back and forth many, many. You nice. don't see it much in books anymore. Like, yeah. yeah, it's a nice touch. It, it, it's so amazing because there are these uh, um, stories built around all the people that touch your life through food and then came into your restaurant group. Yes. Um, what, what was that for Lee? I mean, you, you were an oyster shucker out in Cape Cod yeah, before yeah. joining the team down at, at Diner or Marlowe yeah. & Sons. I mean, I actually had a, an issue of Diner Journal in my bathroom in Cape Cod. <laughs> and that's, nice. how I, that's how I learned about Diner in, in this space. And um, my girlfriend at the time, we would make frequent trips down to New York City and uh, I, would go, I would go and eat at Diner. And I always loved the space and loved how it made me feel. And I mean, when I moved to New York... 
that fall, I didn't even know. I didn't really know that. I wasn't moving there to become a cook. You know, I just showed up at diner one day and was just like, are you guys hiring? You know, and it, and it all just kind of fell into place, you know. I feel like you get a lot of people that don't move here or come to you to become a cook. Yeah, it's just it, it felt like it, it was just like the place that I needed to be. It just felt like the we people that I wanted to be around. Yeah. yeah. We eke it out. <laughs> I, I think it's it's willing, we though. It, you we know? edge it. Yeah, it's a... Yeah, I mean, yeah. do you remember the first time that... Andrew cooked for you, or you were invited to a, a, a staff meal. I think uh, probably the most significant um, meal that we kind of like had together that we connected on was we went to we went to Kinderhook oh, one yeah. weekend, uh-huh. and we we roasted a lamb for them, and it was kind of a. I mean, right. it's it's similar to the book. We, it was like it was a time when we go up and we cook for the farmers, you know, the people right. that provide the food for the restaurants. Um, so we went up and we roasted a whole lamb. And once we kind of like got the fire going, we had the we had the lamb kind of on this steak, um, slow cooking next to the fire, and we had all the offal, like the livers and the heart and the kidneys, and we just sautéed them up really quick for lunch and just tossed them with some fresh greens, and it was like the best. Oh, man. It was the, the here, best salad. Wait, I want to want to set I want to <laughs> set it back a little bit. So yeah. we were a little bit hungover, ever so slightly. We had been there the Friday night before. This was Saturday during the day. Yeah. The sun was pretty hot already at 11.30. Yeah. We hadn't eaten a thing. We were definitely running behind. We didn't know what we were going to do. We went to the farmer's market, bought some stuff. We got the lamb set up. We got the fire going. And we're like, we got to eat something. <laughs> so we took a cast iron pan. We chopped up the liver, the kidneys, and the heart. We got the cast iron pan really hot. Threw a little butter in there. We sauteed that up. I went at Kinnerk and got some Mizuna greens. We just put that right on top, and it was like this bitter, bitter greens with all this offal. Yeah. I swear that it like gave us the energy for the whole day. And yeah. It's true. It was, it was like great. the best thing I had eaten in probably six months. Yeah. And some of it is timing and the sun yeah. and like how hungry we were. And also that we knew we were going to be cooking all day. We didn't. We weren't really prepared to eat in any right. capacity. Right? right. We had like so much work to do. Yeah. Was, uh, that's a good one. I'm glad yeah, you remember that. That was, no, that was, that was a good awesome. one. That was about like uh, maybe a year and a half before I even started at Achilles. I was I was a butcher at that time, or I was just about to become just a butcher. Just about to be a butcher at Reynard. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a transitional period for me. And so Lee and, uh, used to break all the animals down at Reynard. You know, we only buy whole animals there, just like the rest of the businesses. But yeah. they're specific in that they have their own butcher. At Renard and at the hotel, who supply all the meat for the restaurant for all, yeah. for that restaurant specifically, and that was Lee's role. Yeah. So he got to like make all the pâtés and yeah, really interesting job. Like especially because I had a little a, like a chef background um, prior to that. I was like a sous chef at Marlowe and Diner, and then to take on that role and kind of see see how you use meat from a different perspective. It was just it was great to like kind of interact with the chefs that way and right. and kind of like come up with you know, how to, how to use this whole animal, you know, and come up with creative ways of... And you know all those people for so long. Right? Yeah. They've all been part of your team. Well, that's what yeah. I think it is, is, yeah. is when you guys, and I'm not even going to say write a menu because it's, it's mainly verbal at, you know, uh, diner still, mm. it feels like when you guys come up with a story... There's focal points, and you work around those, and then there are all these... I'll tell you something funny. So we're just trying... We're about to go on book tour, and we have to do a dinner in Chicago... And I was talking to Ken, who's the chef at Marlon Sons, and he's going to come with me and write the menu. He's like, we were just like, so where do we even start? Right? Like, <laughs> he's like, 
you know, normally I work off of like, okay, we have beef neck. I'm going to make this braise. Or I have these chickens and we're going to do this. He's like, basically they're asking me just to write a menu and just they'll buy whatever I need. It's like we 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 kind of never think in those terms. Yeah. We always think it's in crazy. the reducto. I was like, okay, so let's start with dessert. We want apples for dessert, or we want a poached pear. Right. You know, okay, if we start with poached pear, now what do we want to eat before that? Because you know, you don't necessarily want to eat braised beef and pear, or maybe you do. You know, like how does it all interact? Yeah. You know, my favorite chapter in the book, not just because I have an acidic palate, is agrodolce. Agrodolce. Yeah. We have a couple of agrodolces in our company. But also because, as you stated in the book, it's a metaphor for life. That there has to yes. be this balance. There has to be balance. So <laughs> when, when you approach a situation or you approach uh, um, cooking for anybody, how do you build on that? I mean, again, you have a, a leg of lamb. You said you put some bitter on top of it. Do you start at a focal point and then build out? Or are you a, um, you know, a bigger picture kind of guy? I am probably a little more improv. I probably improvise a little bit more. I kind of see what yeah. we have. Um, I usually bring some building blocks like bitter or some acidity or some salt to the table for sure. I know that they're going to be needed. But we definitely, I definitely work with what's there. And I know spending time with Leah is definitely his approach too. Um, there's sort of like a big rough plan, but we can improvise off of that. If that makes any sense. Well, on that, without a plan, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. That means we have a plan. Oh, I guess we do have. Well, we're going to come together, figure out a greater, more grandiose plan. We'll be right back. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table, be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on Heritage Radio Network.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Thank today. you, Michael. Hey, Andrew. <laughs> Andrew Tarlow, Lee DeRosier of The Ooh. Roses. Lee of The Roses. We're talking dinner at the long table. And what's, what's tremendous about this book is, what is it, 17 different uh, kind of odysseys that you get to journey through. Odysseys, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Nice. But one in particular is fascinating because it's it's more about failure than it is about triumph, and that that is aioli. 
It's my nemesis. It's no joke. It's for real. <laughs> do you fuck up every aioli? Every every aioli. Well, Lee, how do you make aioli? Uh, I do, you know do it with a whisk, and uh, I do. I use a neutral oil. Yeah. Because I like to He's taste anti-olive. the garlic. I don't use olive oil. I think it's just too ubiquitous in cuisine in general. So I just use I use like a rice bran oil, wah, wah. egg yolk, <laughs> <laughs> perfectly salted garlic, and lemon juice. So I want you yeah. to know that I always try and do it with a mortar and pestle. Uh, and I try and do it with no egg yolks. You know what? Okay. And All that right. is, I think, where I try and fail. I am really old school You're about a purist. It. I'm a purist about it. I wonder why you're breaking it. I want to taste the oil, and I want to <laughs> taste the garlic. I want to taste the olive oil. But, I mean, what is the, what is the moral of this story? Because though, though you break this Love. aioli every time... I think, I think it just shows the genius of Anna Dunn by kind of, like, taking that little story and making it a thing. I mean... Anna, it's a, Anna Dunn is definitely a genius, and she definitely <clears throat> makes us sound smart. <laughs> but you know, I mean, you don't you don't really appreciate something until you fuck Anna. it up, you know. Yeah, and you can appreciate it when it's perfect. But like, you have to make mistakes. I mean, that's what that's my the biggest lesson that I learned through cooking is like making mistakes, just like being right. able to make those mistakes. But also documenting these mistakes, and that's yeah. what's been so wonderful about Anna and Diner Journal is, yeah. you know, for so long a lot of us uh, fans have watched. You progress. I wouldn't say grow, just because it's more of a lateral, you know, taking <laughs> over. But meander. Yeah, even meandered a little bit. <laughs> you did it in such a way that that felt organic. Um, yeah. And Anna did such a great job capturing that sprawl. Yes, totally. Then why did you ever think you needed to do it in the bound edition? Um, it's a really great question. I think that the book. Um, brings a little bit more weight to the whole thing, for sure. It also kind of lets us reflect deeper. It's obviously more pages. Um, so I think all those things are there. I think that, you know, I think the Diner Journal is amazing, and it's a great, it's been a great odyssey for us. Say it one more time. (laughs) But, um... Equally, you know, people think of magazines as throwaway, right? There's no ads. It's not really a magazine. It's actually a journal. You're supposed to keep it, you know. So it's not, and you are supposed to come back and look at it, but not everybody can understand that it that it is that thing, right? It's not. I think the book has the potential to be more understanding to more people just because it's in book format and it'll be at a bookstore. It also became something else. I mean, Anna yes. said something last week where... You know, somebody was critiquing like the, some of the photos. Like, you would never use this tool to to mix like yogurt. You know, and she was like, "Well, that's the beauty of it. It's like we're kind of making it. It shows like the hand that's making the cookbook. So you're actually like, it's a book about making a cookbook, right? You know, and it it it, it just kind of touches yeah. Because on a he was like, Dave was talking about from a cook's perspective. Right. Like, a chef would <laughs> never do that. We're like, yeah, a chef didn't do that. Yeah. We are cooking for the chefs. And right. we're not necessarily using proper techniques. We right. fail at aioli. We, like, make mistakes. We do it That's all. why you have Becky Johnson, too. That's why we have Becky Johnson. You have an art director. We have and, an art director. You know, with this curated life that you've, you know, created for yourself within these restaurants, something that people come to your restaurants because they want to be a part of, this is that instruction. You know, th- this is yeah, that this, this gives way to kind of... To go do it. Yeah. Totally. And, you know, of all the recipes in the book... Uh, you know, I've already. You need a lot more bookmarks because I've checked off so many that I want to touch. Ooh, good. Like okay. bouillabaisse for bon anniversary. Yeah. Um, 
there was the fried toast with the tomato. Yeah. Um, what 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 are you most attached to at the moment? I know these are all very special stories to you, but what does right now feel like? I mean, what do I want to make next? Or like, which recipe is like of the now for me? Let's answer both. Maybe it's a two in one answer. It's two in one answer. Um, I know it's off season, but I have been thinking about bouillon base for a little while now. I don't know why, but the idea of a fish soup. Yeah, that is like enriched in that way, really excites me. I think also when we did the book, we actually cooked it in the fall, so I've been thinking about making that dish. Yeah. The one thing about this book, also in the making, is that we actually made everything in real time, and then yeah. ate it in real time and shot it in real time. So none of it was shot for the show of it, right? We obviously were taking pictures along the path, but we actually just totally lived it. And if we failed at it, and it or we didn't get it. We actually would come back 10 days later and redo that dish. So that bouillabaisse experience was the last dinner we did that night. Yeah. And the sun was fading and we were like pushing to get it done. And I remember sitting on that long table and just like as the twilight hit and the candles and like drinking that soup and having the last bits of fish was so good. I mean, that picture is amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I want to make bouillabaisse. There's a there's a fish that just started. They're starting to catch right now in Montauk. It's called Totog, and it makes the best the best fish broth. You got to do it. I, I have it at a kill. I have it coming in on Wednesday. Great. Yeah. Excellent. It's going to be a stripped down bully base. It's just going to be just broth. Fish broth. Well, it's and also bones. because <laughs> if you put a big table on Achilles' heel, that would be Achilles' heel. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. That's yeah. a thinker. That's interesting. <laughs> we got some plans. Yeah. I can't say enough about this book. And, Thank you, Michael. But I, I also can't say enough about what you've done for restaurant tours in, in not only Brooklyn, but around the country, realizing that you know communal doesn't necessarily mean one big table, but it means one big community. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for putting your community in here. And I, I can't even name everyone, but I, you know, emphatic shout outs to all your chefs. Yeah. Wait staff. Everybody. Of course, Lee right here, because uh, this was a true village that built this book. Thank you, Michael. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Michael. And if you don't have dinner at the long table, go out and get it now or stop by one of Andrew Tarlow's many restaurants in Brooklyn. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkill. Hope to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. A big shout-out to Corn for sponsoring, Music by Cookies, and David for engineering. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.